Hey everybody, welcome back to Author Eke. We have Frank Zapiro. He is our guest today, and he's going to introduce himself. We're going to talk about not maybe just one, but he's written a lot of books. So we're going to get into that and see what an accomplished author over years, how he's done it. How has he maintained that, uh, that drive to do it some more? Frank, all yours, man. First off, thanks for having me. I guess the most concise way to introduce myself would be to say that I was a police officer for 20 years and a day in Spokane, Washington. That's on the eastern half of the state there. Mm -hmm. Retired in 2013. During my career, I was fortunate enough to either do or command the unit that did pretty much every job that a police agency does. And so that that gave me some great experiences, as you might imagine, when it came to writing about, mm-hmm. about police work. I write gritty crime fiction from both sides of the badge. Uh, my flagship series is the River City series, which is a thinly veiled Spokane. And those are police procedurals uh, with, a, with an ensemble cast of police officers and detectives. Although the core character really is an officer, actually now detective, Katie McLeod. These are procedurals, which for those that aren't familiar is basically where the emphasis is not so much on who did it, whether or not, and how the cops might catch them. And so that's my flagship series, but I do write hard-boiled from the side, from the viewpoint of the criminal in my Compton series and the private detective series in the Stefan Copriva mysteries, which is a spinoff of River mm-hmm. City. So if you like mystery, uh, aside from cozy or traditional, I've, I've probably got something in your subgenre. Excellent. Well, my, my son was stationed up in uh, the, uh, what did you call it, uh, Fort Lewis. Yeah. Uh, call it there. So that's around that neck of the woods. Really beautiful. I used to work for Microsoft, and I'd go up to Seattle every once in a while. So beautiful up there. Thanks for your service, by the way. So great. Yeah, great. So what possessed you to write about your work because that it had to like bring back some some images and things that you've dealt with in your police career i've always been a writer even as a young kid 10 12 years old that's how i felt about myself kind of like a musician might feel even if they're not in a professional band or anything and i've been writing my whole life I had a little bit of a gap from about 96 to 2004. I came on the job in, in 93. And because during that time period, I was going back to school using the Army College Fund to get my undergraduate degree. Were you and an MP? What did you do in the Army? Were you an MP? I, I was a linguist, actually. I was a Czechoslovak linguist. And I wore headphones and spied on the Czech Army radio transmissions back in a station to in southern Germany and Bavaria. So this is strange. I was in the Second Armored Cavalry Regiment. Yeah. And I used to guard the Czechoslovakian border all the way up to the <laughs> German border. Uh, then I went back and I was a 19 Delta a Cav Scout. And then I did the Coburg sector of the East West German border. Wow. Uh, awesome. Thanks for your service. Well, all the folks you're listening to. <laughs> you as well. So you basically were right there in the fold again. Oh, yeah. So I've seen the people talk about communism. I've seen it. Yeah. Through unfiltered lens. 
what communism is, uh, without a doubt. It was a weird time, a glorious time in some ways, to be in that position because it was in the era of Gorbachev as the Soviet leader. And while I came in in, in, in the army in 86, and that was pretty much the Cold War was still pretty frosty at that yes, point. Yes. But by the time I left in March of 91, the Czechs had had the Velvet Revolution and installed a poet as president. The Berlin Wall had come down. East and West Germany were negotiating to, to rejoin. All of the other Eastern Bloc nations were in some stage of breaking away from the Soviet Union, which was in the middle of Glasnost and Perestroika, which yes. was reform and openness, essentially. 91. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I left in 91. Interestingly enough, you talked about seeing communism. Here I was, a, an American soldier who was had a top secret security clearance and was spying on the Czechs yeah. in, say, 88, 89. In 91, when I got out, I drove my Nissan Sentra with U.S. Army plates oh, yeah, into the thing. Czech, into Czechoslovakia, <laughs> yeah. moved to Polzin, past places where I had memorized army units were stationed. It was oddly surreal. And uh, then stayed in Polzin for a few days and saw just what it was like there. And it, was, it hadn't had a chance to change from what it had been under the the communist regime it was mere months i guess a year and a half since the velvet revolution but it was not it wasn't a a westernized city yet it was still very much a communist city it was weird things can happen fast but i feel like those were good things yeah my wife german so i, I, I we go back but you can still go into uh, former east germany and still see that they're night and day they're rebuilding they started rebuilding East Germany in 1990, where mm -hmm. the Germans started right after World War II. It was remarkable. So thank you again for your service. That's kind of coincidental. You were the guy that was going to call up the everybody, including my unit, and yeah. say, hey, the T-72s are rolling through the yeah. Fulda Gap. Not you a know, good day. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> we day. were counting on you guys to give us a heads up. Oh, simply a speed bump. So you so you started. When did you write your first novel that was published? That was published. I wrote Under a Raging Moon, the first book in the River City series. The first draft of it in 1995, after I'd been on the job for two years. Oh, wow! And you can really see both the. And I can see this now, quite a few years later. Mm -hmm. You can see the immaturity of the person that wrote it the attitudes of a two-year cop who was in love with the job. And you can all, and certainly if I pulled out that early draft, you would see the skill level that I was at the time, which was not ready for prime time. And so I, I wasn't able to get it published. And then I started college. And then I'd mentioned the 96 to 204 sort of gap in my writing. And I was writing a lot during that time, mm -hmm. but I was writing college papers I was learning a new job in police yeah. work just about every other year because I got moved around and got promoted and so forth. And so it wasn't until about 2004 when I, I was a sergeant by that time and I had this kind of day shift office gig, basically. I was in the volunteer oh, services unit overseeing yeah. that. And that's when I had the luxury, essentially, of getting back to fiction. And it was also pretty 
fueled by the fact that I, I ran into another cop who was also a, a writer who was in the early stages of his work, a guy named Colin Conway, who worked with quite a bit in the you know, since then. And we we started encouraging each other. We started re- reading each other's works, talking about writing all the time and so forth. And so I started kicking out a lot of short stories and it, and then pulling out the novel and, and getting to work on it again. And so it shouldn't really be a surprise after being on the job for, at that point, I guess, 11 years, that what came out was law enforcement stuff, crime-related stuff, because that was what I was living up. That's what I wrote about. I was a little nervous about saying Spokane and my real name because I didn't know how my bosses were going to react. So, how did they react? How did the other, not only your your bosses but your peers, how did they take that you were writing these crime novels? My bosses surprised me because both times I went to them because I had to go basically say, "Hey, this is a an off duty job. It's a separate career." I needed to get permission essentially by policy, but there was no reason for him to say no. I wasn't too worried about it, but I was worried that maybe if anybody read a couple of the grittier stories, maybe one where the cops weren't the greatest and how they were portrayed, that they might come to me and say, okay, enough of that. And I didn't want to be in the position where I couldn't say, no, I'm going to keep doing this. So I changed Spokane to River City and started using a pen name, Frank Zafiro. And then, so does Spokane uh, have a river running through it? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Spokane River. Uh, but it's the Looking Glass River in, in River City. <laughs> river City is so close to Spokane; it's it's half a bubble off of an alternate reality. Yeah, uh, I only changed a few things. Obviously, anything that says Spokane, I had to come up right. with a different name for it. And then I, I changed, I massaged a few locations and so forth. But they. They were pretty receptive. And then a few years later, when the newspaper reporter at the newspaper ferreted out that I was doing this, she wanted to write a story about it. And I said, hey, that's great, but can we keep it quiet that I really do this here in Spokane? And she's like, no, you don't get it. That's actually the story. (laughs) That's why we want to write about you. (laughs) Can't. That's why people might be interested is because you do work here. And I'm like, ah. So I went and talked to the chief then, and that was uh, Chief Kirkpatrick. and, And she was wonderful. She was like, fly, bird, fly, don't, you know, be free. But that was great. My, my colleagues have, former colleagues now have just been all over the map, much like family is. Some people are super supportive and interested. Other people are generally supportive, but it's not their thing. Some people aren't even aware of it or could care less because it's just not in their wheelhouse or in their orbit. But those people who are interested and have been supportive, that I used to work with that have been super supportive. And there's still people I can reach out to if I come across something that I don't have an expertise in. And recently the series I, I wrote with, I wrote a series with Colin Conway here in the last five years, six years, the Charlie 316 series, which is a procedural series. And it is set in Spokane. And there were some, there were some homicide related things that I just didn't have quite the expertise on. And I was able to reach out to a detective that I knew and Actually, we created a character with his name as an homage. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> I do the same thing, by the way. Yeah, uh, it's kind of cool. That, that I don't know. I can do a lot of research with it. So I'm going to get some perspective of something. So I reached out actually to a Air Force boom operator because I wanted to have an air to air refueling scene in the book. So I, I say, talk me through it. 
Yeah. yeah I mean, if you're writing a book that people expect to be, yeah. then you need to be right. But yeah, none of my colleagues were negative about it. Nobody gave me a hard time or I got teased a little bit, but that's just friendly. But I didn't have any negative experiences ever. They were all great with it. And occasionally uh, people would come up and be like, hey, I got one for you. You can use this in one of your books. And they'd tell me something and either a story or something funny that somebody said or did. And most of the time their instincts were pretty good. I've used quite a few of them actually. You didn't give me any money, did you? I mean, you didn't give a roll to No, I gave them credit where <laughs> credit was due. And then I took credit for and they, writing. And they gave him a ticket. That's great. <laughs> so what, how, when do you write? Do you have a favorite time or how do you write? Do you outline it or what's your strategy for writing? I used to do it a lot differently. I used to be a pantser. That's a, me. <laughs> here's an idea. Let's roll with it. And I used to have to write when I had time. And that time tended to come in blocks, not very regularly, just because of the kind of schedule I had. But fortunately, I, I retired in 2013, and I, I did some consulting and teaching after that, but I've been fully retired from everything except my writing career since the end of 2017. And so that allows me to structure my day however I like. And I like to get up early. Early can be between 5 and 6.30, depending on where I'm at in the cycle, trying right. to get back to that 5 a.m. Uh, time frame now. I'm, do you I'm, do PT in the morning? I usually don't. I usually, I'll go to the gym in the afternoon, yeah. either early or late afternoon, depending on if my wife's going with me or not. Uh, but uh, but I like to do the creative writing in the morning. And that's something that my my buddy Colin really impressed on me. He'd been doing that for a while and, and he'd done some reading about it. And he formed, a, formed an opinion that ever in the day, your creative energy is the highest. And for most people, it's in the morning. And that's true yes. for me. Yeah. You should give that creative power to yourself. Don't use it to do work for other people. Don't use it to do work that doesn't require creative energy. Use it for what requires the most creative energy that's your own work. And so that's what I do. I work on my I agree. whatever's new, whatever I'm working on right now, I'll do that in the morning hours. And then any editing or other kind of marketing work or whatever, I, I tend to do that in the late morning and afternoon and evening. That's great. I do too. I, I get up, I do walk in the morning and then I come back because I think about what I'm going to write as I'm walking. That's a good strategy. And then I come back and I, I live in Texas. So the weather is beautiful 95% of the time. Whereabouts in Texas? North of Dallas, a little town called. Oh Dallas. yeah. 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 And it's beautiful. And so I sit out back and hack away for about an hour and a half, two hours. And then I'll say, what else do I want to be able to do? And so I, I enjoy that aspect of it. So yeah, I'm a pantser. I, I quit doing that. I I had to because I wrote, I've written about 15 of my books with other authors, with four different authors. And you can't pants, you just can't pants it. when Not, you're, not when you're collaborating. No. Because <laughs> yeah, nothing you think about, and if you go on that walk in the morning and you think about something, you come back and you sit down and then yeah. you open up the file that the guy just sent you or whoever your partner is for the book yeah. it's yeah. and they went off on a completely different tangent you're you got you've got to have at least a bullet point outline and i've been doing that with those i didn't do it much with the with a couple of the series that mm -hmm. i did the anya series with jim wilski and the brick and Cam, bricks and cam jobs series that i did with eric beatner 
those were very loosely outlined. We basically said, here's the premise. Let's roll with it till we get about to the three quarter mark, basically pants it like you're talking about. And then at the three quarter mark, we're going to have to decide how we're going to wrap this up. And I mean, that worked really good for seven different books. Yeah. But, but we were a technique. It's a strategy. And we were writing a dual first person narrative with alternating chapters. And so there was a lot less of a chance that somebody was going to write something in their chapter with their character that was going to completely screw you up in your chapter with yours. Occasionally it happened, but we corrected when it did. It's a little different when you're writing a, like the Charlie 316 series, a third person, multiple viewpoint procedural that has a lot of interlocking parts. And so what Colin and I will do is we will brainstorm it together We'll outline it together. And the outline is basically a series of separate paragraphs broken up by scene. And so we both know where things are going. We both have the map. And then we figure out who's going to write. And that is eventually landed on, you write this character scenes, I'll write this character scenes Mm -hmm. from their point of view when when they have the POV. Although who writes which character has changed between books. I, I can't remember too many of the examples right now, but the one that always comes to mind is that he wrote the chief of police in one of the books. And I wrote it in one of the other books. And I can't remember the other two who wrote it, but that's changed from book to book occasionally, but always the same person throughout the entire book. And then as we're writing it, so if you and I were doing it and we got to that point where we'd mapped it out and we got, okay, and you're going to write character A, D and E, and I'm going to write B, D and F. And then I'd sit down, I'd write, say, chapter one, send it to you. You'd read chapter one, give it a quick edit, and then write chapter two, send it back to me. I'd read what you did to my chapter one and respond to it, editing-wise. I'd edit chapter two that you wrote, and then I'd write chapter three. And then that process would just continue all the way through 80, 100,000 words, whatever it ends up being. The beauty of that and why it's worked for us is it accomplishes two things. One is that when you get to the end of that first draft, it's really at least draft 1.5, maybe 2.0. Yeah, we've already been through it. Yeah. And the other thing is that with such heavy, and we have pretty heavy handed editing, there's no hands off. It's all, every word is as if it was your word. There's no, don't edit mine so hard type of of stuff going on. So what you end up with at the end of that first draft isn't my voice or your voice. It's a third voice. That's the voice of the book. It's the voice of the series. It's our voice essentially because that editing process is so all encompassing and so constant, even during the creation of the first draft. And that's worked really well. And in fact, it's worked so well that I outline my own books at that, to that same level now. I have a pretty good bullet point for all of them anymore. And that's just what works. It keeps me on track. And a lot of people who pants like you do, and maybe this is your feeling about it as well, will say that they get bored with it if they know exactly where it's going, that the map is off-putting and takes the fun out of it for them. And I understand that. I could see that happening for me too, at least that was how I felt. But what I've learned is that there's so many details that you're going to delve into. If the scene just says, Copriva confronts his mother. Yeah. I mean, that's all it says on there. That's, I know what that means. Yeah. I got that. 
all that work to dive right. into discover just all i know is he's going to confront her about whatever and that's so that's how and when i get the writing done yeah i do i'll think of something that i will do is i have a little section at the back of the end of the book that i say stuff and i'll just put okay i want to put this in the book and so that or i'll mind map it i'll mind map some of the stuff because i to me i like to make sure if i say that tex is going to do this that he has to do that somewhere in the book just can't drop it out of the book. Somebody's going to notice that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I always have to follow, and I always look back to make sure that I do that. But I never, I didn't know how collaboration works. That's pretty interesting. And that's just how we do it. Collaboration works as many ways as there are collaborators. I suspect the key to it is that you have to be on the same, the same page. Oh, sure. Yeah. You have to trust each other. Has to doesn't have to be an equal relationship. I mean, there's the whole. Clive Cussler with so-and-so, James Patterson with so-and-so. That's a, that the, the power dynamic Bill there O'Reilly, is. Like, Bill O'Reilly with somebody. Right? Yeah, that's not a, an equal power dynamic. But when you do have an equal relationship like I've had with all my co-authors, mm. then it, it does just become a matter of trust and, and a willingness to accept that any edits that I make or that you make are in the best interests of the book. You're not trying to prove your better writer or right. you edit it edit yours or something yeah, that's crazy you know, petty yeah you're just trying to entertain so when you write when you co-author do you write your own book at the same time can you do two at once i have in the past i i don't i got away from it the last few when colin and i were working on the charlie 316 series the the first four books in, in that series but i certainly did prior to that and it was just because it was such a different experience and different world that it was, I was able to compartmentalize them or maybe I was younger. I don't know, but I, don't, <laughs> I won't call and I have a couple of three more books. Come on, man. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm not going to do, I won't be writing anything else while we're writing. I'll do other work. There's plenty of other work as an independent author to, to keep you busy. Oh, there is a ton. You talked about earlier, you have to strategize your day to when you because there's multiple things you need to get done then you still have a family and everything else but when you got to take time to write you have time to market time to design things what's the cover going to look like how am i going to send this thing out so i think do i release it yes how do i promo it what all, all those things come up and then of course all the creative things that you're dealing with what do you where the series is going, what whatever book you're not writing, but you're planning, how that's going to go, all the stuff that... that so do you that, plan the next book? So I did one, I'm almost done with the second, and I'm already thinking about the third and how I'm going to continue. It's not necessarily a series, but the same folks, same team, but I add folks to the team and now I can branch those off to do something because they, do, they have a different skill set. So do you do that too, or? Yeah, I actually think that's pretty cool that you're doing it that way. It's a, a very similar way to what Colin does with his 509 series. Mm-hmm. It's a rotating cast of who the lead is. So there might be six right. or seven detectives in this unit, and they're all in just about every book in some capacity or another, but they take turns being the lead in terms of mm-hmm. who's whose who, whose book it is and yeah. so 
you get to see these characters through the eyes of other characters and they don't all see each other in the same way. So that that's pretty cool. I do have I do have a pretty good idea with my ser- most of my series that are still open. The Anya series that I mentioned and the Brick and Cam Jobs series, those are both closed series. They mm-hmm. their their cycle is complete whereas the River City series is ongoing, the Copriva mysteries are ongoing, my Spokompton series is ongoing. So I know I just am, I had the fourth book in the Spokompton series coming out in October. Nice. I, I know what books five and six are going to be. And I've got them pretty well mapped out. I just, How many can you do a year? It varies. It varies. I've done as few as one and as many as I'd have to go double check, but I think I've done five or six in a year. It, some of those might've been co-authored. So you're writing half a book, but all the rest of the work is just as much as if you wrote it yourself. Good for uh, maybe three, which is probably a lot of people are saying, no, the one's good. That's a whole different conversation. I have a friend who's very successful and he's, I think he does three three or four a year in his, I think it's three a year in, in his main series. And his readers are used to it. They're used to when those new books come out. I really started hard push to be as productive as possible at the beginning of 2021 and mm-hmm. try to get as much work out as possible, but with the caveat of not sacrificing quality. Because there's an old saying, you can have it yes, I agree. fast, cheap, or good, I think is how it goes, right? Pick two. You can have quality, quantity, or it can be inexpensive, but you can't have all three. And I never wanted to the quality to suffer. Mm-hmm. So if that means I put one or two less books out a year to make I sure agree. that the quality is there, that. that's, where I'm, that's where I'm at. You can have fast food or you can have good food fast. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or maybe it takes a little time in the kitchen to make a really good, healthy meal. Exactly. That means, you know, that you got to wait a little bit, then you wait a little bit because it's worth it. I originally had a pretty, pretty aggressive schedule for publishing and I met some of those goals, but I had to push a few of them back a little bit too, to just to ensure, number one, that I wasn't wearing myself out. I did get pretty ragged there for a bit trying to meet basically a book a month is what I was trying to complete. Oh, that's tough. Holy smokes. Yeah, I was too it was too much. And even though I had a, a slight head start when I started, it's just too it was too much. And I I felt like the quality wasn't going to be there if I kept up that pace. Mm-hmm. Uh because I wasn't I got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it quite as much. And that's gonna bleed through into the writing. If you don't have a sense of wonder and a sense of Good how job. much you love what you're writing that that's going to bleed through and the readers are going to pick up on it. And I just didn't, you know, I didn't want that to happen at all. So even though I'm still putting out a lot of books pretty quickly, mm. I've slowed down enough to make sure that what I'm, I'm, that I'm very satisfied with the quality of that. So that those where books can have. everybody get your books? Pretty much any digitally, pretty much anywhere you download eBooks. Actually, let me correct myself there. I'm I'm Amazon exclusive at the moment. You can get the ebooks on Amazon. You can get the paperbacks 
through Amazon. If you're a Kindle Unlimited reader, you can read them all for free on Amazon. And you, you can get all those links and, and see the books that I've got out of the different series on my website, which is franksafiro.com. If you're not sure where to start, I did put something on the sidebar there that if you like the police procedurals, try these series. If you like hard boil, oh, okay. try these. If you like PI novels, try these. Because everybody has their own flavor that they prefer. Exactly. I would agree. Most interesting, I, I learned quite a bit from this little conversation we had. Our path might have crossed, or I might have read something that you put out, and you might have read something that I put out. <laughs> Very possible. I'm sure it had a, a marking on it at one time. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Frank. I appreciate, again, your service. Thank you very much. Double service. So thank you very much. And folks, check out his books. If you're into the the police for PI, for those perspectives, check it out. He's got to have something for you. And if to start, you don't have to start at the beginning, but eventually you want to start where the whole crust of this thing started from. So thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Bye.